Section thirty eight of the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Book five, chapter seven. It's always worthwhile speaking to a clever man. And in the same nervous frenzy, too, he spoke meeting fyodor pavlovitch in the drawing-room directly he went in he shouted to him waving his hands i am going upstairs to my room not into you good-bye and passed by trying not even to look at his father very possibly the old man was too hateful to him at that moment but such an unceremonious display of hostility was a surprise even to fyodor pavlovitch and the old man evidently wanted to tell him something at once and had come to meet him in the drawing-room on purpose receiving this amiable greeting he stood still in silence and with an ironical air watched his son going upstairs till he passed out of sight what's the matter with him he promptly asked smerdyakov who had followed ivan angry about something who can tell the valet muttered evasively confound him let him be angry then bring in the samovar and get along with you look sharp no news then followed a series of questions such as smerdyakov had just complained of to ivan all relating to his expected visitor and these questions we will omit half an hour later the house was locked and the crazy old man was wandering along through the rooms in excited expectation of hearing every minute the five knocks agreed upon now and then he peered out into the darkness seeing nothing it was very late but ivan was still awake and reflecting he sat up late that night till two o'clock but we will not give an account of his thoughts and this is not the place to look into that soul its turn will come and even if one tried it would be very hard to give an account of them for there were no thoughts in his brain but something very vague and above all intense excitement he felt himself that he had lost his bearings he was fretted too by all sorts of strange and almost surprising desires for instance after midnight he suddenly had an intense irresistible inclination to go down open the door go to the lodge and beat smerdyakov but if he had been asked why he could not have given any exact reason except perhaps that he loathed the valet as one who had insulted him more gravely than any one in the world on the other hand he was more than once that night overcome by a sort of inexplicable humiliating terror which he felt positively paralyzed his physical powers his head ached and he was giddy a feeling of hatred was rankling in his heart as though he meant to avenge himself on some one he even hated alyosha recalling the conversation he had just had with him at moments he hated himself intensely of katerina ivanovna he almost forgot to think and wondered greatly at this afterwards especially as he remembered perfectly that when he had protested so valiantly to katerina ivanovna that he would go away next day to moscow something had whispered in his heart that's nonsense you are not going and it won't be so easy to tear yourself away as you are boasting now remembering that night 
long afterwards ivan recalled with peculiar repulsion how he had suddenly got up from the sofa and had stealthily as though he were afraid of being watched opened the door gone out on the staircase and listened to fyodor pavlovitch stirring down below had listened a long while some five minutes with a sort of strange curiosity holding his breath while his heart throbbed and why he had done all this why he was listening he could not have said that action all his life afterwards he called infamous and at the bottom of his heart he thought of it as the basest action of his life for fyodor pavlovitch himself he felt no hatred at that moment but was simply intensely curious to know how he was walking down there below and what he must be doing now he wondered and imagined how he must be peeping out of the dark windows and stopping in the middle of the room listening listening for someone to knock ivan went out on to the stairs twice to listen like this about two o'clock when everything was quiet and even fyodor pavlovitch had gone to bed ivan had got into bed firmly resolved to fall asleep at once as he felt fearfully exhausted and he did fall asleep at once and slept soundly without dreams but waked early at seven o'clock when it was broad daylight opening his eyes he was surprised to feel himself extraordinarily vigorous he jumped up at once and dressed quickly then dragged out his trunk and began packing immediately his linen had come back from the laundress the previous morning ivan positively smiled at the thought that everything was helping his sudden departure and his departure certainly was sudden though ivan had said the day before to katerina ivanovna alyosha and smerdyakov that he was leaving next day yet he remembered that he had no thought of departure when he went to bed or at least had not dreamed that his first act in the morning would be to pack his trunk at last his trunk and bag were ready it was about nine o'clock when marfa ignatyevna came in with her usual inquiry where will your honour take your tea in your own room or downstairs he looked almost cheerful but there was about him about his words and gestures something hurried and scattered greeting his father affably and even inquiring specially after his health though he did not wait to hear his answer to the end he announced that he was starting off in an hour to return to moscow for good and begged him to send for the horses his father heard this announcement with no sign of surprise and forgot in an unmannerly way to show regret at losing him instead of doing so he flew into a great flutter at the recollection of some important business of his own what a fellow you are not to tell me yesterday never mind we'll manage it all the same do me a great service my dear boy go to chermashnya on the way it's only to turn to the left from the station at volovya only another twelve versts and you come to chermashnya i'm sorry i can't it's eighty versts to the railway and the train starts for moscow at seven o'clock to-night i can only just catch it you'll catch it to-morrow or the day after but to-day turn off to chermashnya it won't put you out much to humour your father 
if i hadn't had something to keep me here i would have run over myself long ago for i've some business there in a hurry but here i it's not the time for me to go now you see i've two pieces of copse land there the maslovs an old merchant and his son will give eight thousand for the timber but last year i just missed a purchaser who would have given twelve there's no getting anyone about here to buy it the maslovs have it all their own way one has to take what they'll give for no one here dare bid against them the priest at ilinsko wrote to me last thursday that a merchant called gorstkin a man i know had turned up what makes him valuable is that he is not from these parts so he is not afraid of the maslovs he says he will give me eleven thousand for the copse do you hear but he'll only be here the priest writes for a week altogether so you must go at once and make a bargain with him well you write to the priest he'll make the bargain he can't do it he has no eye for business he is a perfect treasure i'd give him twenty thousand to take care of for me without a receipt but he has no eye for business he is a perfect child a crow could deceive him and yet he is a learned man would you believe it this gorstkin looks like a peasant he wears a blue caftan but he is a regular rogue that's the common complaint he is a liar sometimes he tells such lies that you wonder why he is doing it he told me the year before last that his wife was dead and that he had married another and would you believe it there was not a word of truth in it his wife has never died at all she is alive to this day and gives him a beating twice a week so what you have to find out is whether he is lying or speaking the truth when he says he wants to buy it and would give eleven thousand i shall be no use in such a business i have no eye either stay wait a bit you will be of use for i will tell you the signs by which you can judge about gorstkin i've done business with him a long time you see you must watch his beard he has a nasty thin red beard if his beard shakes when he talks and he gets cross it's all right he is saying what he means he wants to do business but if he strokes his beard with his left hand and grins he is trying to cheat you don't watch his eyes you won't find out anything from his eyes he is a deep one a rogue but watch his beard i'll give you a note and you show it to him he's called gorstkin though his real name is lyagavy but don't call him so he will be offended if you come to an understanding with him and see it's all right write here at once you need only write he's not lying stand out for eleven thousand one thousand you can knock off but not more just think there's a difference between eight thousand and eleven thousand it's as good as picking up three thousand it's not so easy to find a purchaser and i'm in desperate need of money only let me know it's serious and i'll run over and fix it up i'll snatch the time somehow but what's the good of my galloping over if it's all a notion of the priests come will you go oh i can't spare the time you must excuse me come you might oblige your father i shan't forget it you've no heart any of you that's what it is what's a day or two to you where are you going now to venice your venice will keep another two days 
i would have sent alyosha but what use is alyosha in a thing like that i send you just because you are a clever fellow do you suppose i don't see that you know nothing about timber but you've got an eye all that is wanted is to see whether the man is in earnest i tell you watch his beard if his beard shakes you know he is in earnest you force me to go to that damned chermashnia yourself then cried ivan with a malignant smile fyodor pavlovitch did not catch or would not catch the malignancy but he caught the smile then you'll go you'll go i'll scribble the note for you at once i don't know whether i shall go i don't know i'll decide on the way nonsense decide at once my dear fellow decide if you settle the matter write me a line give it to the priest and he'll send it on to me at once and i won't delay you more than that you can go to venice the priest will give you horses back to velavia station the old man was quite delighted he wrote the note and sent for the horses a light lunch was brought in with brandy when fyodor pavlovitch was pleased he usually became expansive but to-day he seemed to restrain himself of dmitri for instance he did not say a word he was quite unmoved by the parting and seemed in fact at a loss for something to say ivan noticed this particularly he must be bored with me he thought only when accompanying his son out on to the steps the old man began to fuss about he would have kissed him but ivan made haste to hold out his hand obviously avoiding the kiss his father saw it at once and instantly pulled himself up well good luck to you good luck to you he repeated from the steps you'll come again some time or other mind you do come i shall always be glad to see you well christ be with you ivan got into the carriage good-bye ivan don't be too hard on me the father called for the last time the whole household came out to take leave smerdyakov marfa and grigory ivan gave them ten roubles each when he had seated himself in the carriage smerdyakov jumped up to arrange the rug you see i am going to chermashnia broke suddenly from ivan again as the day before the words seemed to drop of themselves and he laughed too a peculiar nervous laugh he remembered it long after it's a true saying then that it's always worth while speaking to a clever man answered smerdyakov firmly looking significantly at ivan the carriage rolled away nothing was clear in ivan's soul but he looked eagerly around him at the fields at the hills at the trees at a flock of geese flying high overhead in the bright sky and all of a sudden he felt very happy he tried to talk to the driver and he felt intensely interested in an answer the peasant made him but a minute later he realized that he was not catching anything and that he had not really even taken in the peasant's answer he was silent and it was pleasant even so the air was fresh pure and cool the sky bright the images of alyosha and katerina ivanovna floated into his mind but he softly smiled blew softly on the friendly phantoms and they flew away there's plenty of time for them 
he thought. They reached the station quickly, changed horses, and galloped to Volavia. Why is it worth while speaking to a clever man? What did he mean by that? The thought seemed suddenly to clutch at his breathing. And why did I tell him I was going to Chermashnia? They reached Volovia station. Ivan got out of the carriage, and the drivers stood round him, bargaining over the journey of twelve versts to Chermashnia. He told them to harness the horses. He went into the station-house, looked round, glanced at the overseer's wife, and suddenly went back to the entrance. "'I won't go to Chermashnia. Am I too late to reach the railway by seven, brothers?' "'We shall just do it. Shall we get the carriage out?' at once will any one of you be going to the town to-morrow to be sure mitri here will can you do me a service mitri go to my father's to fyodor pavlovitch karamazov and tell him i haven't gone to chermashnia can you of course i can i've known fyodor pavlovitch a long time and here's something for you for i dare say he won't give you anything said ivan laughing gaily you may depend on it he won't Mitya laughed, too. Thank you, sir. I'll be sure to do it. At seven o'clock Ivan got into the train and set off to Moscow. Away with the past! I've done with the old world forever, and may I have no news, no echo from it, to a new life, new places, and no looking back. But instead of delight, his soul was filled with such gloom, and his heart ached with such anguish as he had never known in his life before. He was thinking all the night. The train flew on, and only at daybreak, when he was approaching Moscow, he suddenly roused himself from his meditation. "'I am a scoundrel,' he whispered to himself. Fyodor Pavlovitch remained well satisfied at having seen his son off. For two hours afterwards he felt almost happy, and sat drinking brandy. But suddenly something happened, which was very annoying and unpleasant for everyone in the house, and completely upset Fyodor Pavlovitch's equanimity at once. Smerdyukov went to the cellar for something, and fell down from the top of the steps. Fortunately, Marfa Ignatyevna was in the yard, and heard him in time. She did not see the fall, but heard his scream, the strange, peculiar scream, long familiar to her, the scream of the epileptic falling in a fit. They could not tell whether the fit had come on him at the moment he was descending the steps, so that he must have fallen unconscious, or whether it was the fall and the shock that had caused the fit in Smerdyakov, who was known to be liable to them. They found him at the bottom of the cellar steps, writhing in convulsions and foaming at the mouth. It was thought at first that he must have broken something, an arm or a leg, and hurt himself, but God had preserved him, as Marfa Ignatyevna expressed it, nothing of the kind had happened. But it was difficult to get him out of the cellar. They asked the neighbors to help, and managed it somehow. Fyodor Pavlovitch himself was present at the whole ceremony. He helped, evidently alarmed and upset. The sick man did not regain consciousness. The convulsions ceased for a time, but then began again, 
and everyone concluded that the same thing would happen as had happened a year before when he accidentally fell from the garret they remembered that ice had been put on his head then there was still ice in the cellar and marfa ignatyevna had some brought up in the evening fyodor pavlovitch sent for dr herzenstube who arrived at once he was a most estimable old man and the most careful and conscientious doctor in the province after careful examination he concluded that the fit was a very violent one and might have serious consequences that meanwhile he herzenstube did not fully understand it but that by to-morrow morning if the present remedies were unavailing he would venture to try something else the invalid was taken to the lodge to a room next to grigory's and marfa ignatyevna's then fyodor pavlovitch had one misfortune after another to put up with that day marfa ignatyevna cooked the dinner and the soup compared with smerdyakov's was no better than dishwater and the fowl was so dried up that it was impossible to masticate it to her master's bitter though deserved reproaches marfa ignatyevna replied that the fowl was a very old one to begin with and that she had never been trained as a cook in the evening there was another trouble in store for fyodor pavlovitch he was informed that grigory who had not been well for the last three days was completely laid up by his lumbago fyodor pavlovitch finished his tea as early as possible and locked himself up alone in the house he was in terrible excitement and suspense that evening he reckoned on grushenka's coming almost as a certainty he had received from smerdyakov that morning an assurance that she had promised to come without fail the incorrigible old man's heart throbbed with excitement he paced up and down his empty rooms listening he had to be on the alert dmitri might be on the watch for her somewhere and when she knocked on the window smerdyakov had informed him two days before that he had told her where and how to knock the door must be opened at once she must not be a second in the passage for fear which god forbid that she should be frightened and run away fyodor pavlovitch had much to think of but never had his heart been steeped in such voluptuous hopes this time he could say almost certainly that she would come End of section thirty eight.